Hi, everybody. Welcome to another Haas Talks Boss. I'm the Haas, head of open source strategy at Percona, Matt Yakovit. Today, I'm here with David Duncan. Um, hi, David. How are you doing? Hi. Yeah. Hey, Matt. How are you? Now, David, you work for AWS as it's as a as, is it a partner architect or a solution architect or a solution partner architect? Called a partner solutions architect. And I spend a lot of my time working with our operating system partners. So my job uh, is specifically platform related. It's not um, not the uh, application layers right, most, for the most part. Okay, and so. Tell us a little bit about what you do there, like, 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 you know, from a day to day perspective, what does what what does that mean? Well, it means that I'm looking at a lot of our Linux partners, I mean, for the most part, uh, and how they fit into the structure of our our, um, our strategy and um, what we can do to bet to create a better experience for customers who uh, need to use something that is um, not provided by AWS directly, right? So that would be Red Hat, you know, working with Red Hat Enterprise Linux um, or supporting Oracle Linux or Rocky Linux or any of these guys that that have come along, you know, uh, and then uh, that does, you know, it's not just limited to Linux. I also work with Unix partners like the FreeBSD okay. uh, Foundation and and uh, uh, really have a great time working with them, by the way, as uh um, always, a, always a pleasure. So you're helping them get their OSs onto AWS. Yeah, and to take advantage of things that you wouldn't, you know, that we we want them, we want them to be able to take advantage of, like um, uh, the Omni public parameters. Right, we we provide a public parameter to allow you to to uh, to um, find the latest machine image from you know from a project. And uh, that's uh, part of my job is to help them, you know, onboard with those programs and make sure that the right accounts are there and the structure is right so that everyone can find what, what they're looking for and they feel comfortable that it's official, not it's not just some randomly published machine image. Right. So making sure that everything gets in there is uh, in a way that is predictable and safe for use. So everybody who's using one of the official you know, uh, AMIs or the official, you know, uh, packages out there uh, for one of these Linux distributions, it has your fingerprints on it. If you launched it from the console uh, and it's not Amazon Linux, I I was the one who put it in the, you know, put the uh, listing together for that, uh, for, for it. And, so, um, and, and so you're helping to work through the issues, this. get get things moving, you know, you're doing yeah. a little bit of everything. Yeah, and having a great time doing it, right? You know, these are these are my people. This is my tribe, right? So I'm excited every day that I get to go to work and and to do the work uh, around, you know, and uh, making sure that the right the right parts of the kernel, you know, or the right patches that have been in that have been introduced to mainline are are getting into the right spot. So when uh, the next you know generation of Graviton comes up, there'll be there'll be uh, uh, zero day support for you know for Red Hat and Maybe zero day support for SUSE and and for Ubuntu and you know and all these other other operating systems that are out there that we have, we partner with. Very cool, very cool. And how did you get into this? Like how how what what are, what does your career look like to get you to this point? <laughs> I mean, so you know, it's funny because I, I mean, usually I, t- I like to tell the shocking story right first, is which is that um, I got my first job in computing. Um, 
basically because I was working on a database, you know, I was working on a, a backend connection to an ICM database that was in a point of sale system at a fish store, at a little aquarium store uh, where I was working just minimum wage aquarium clerk. And, uh, and I called, you know, it was just looking online, trying to get the, trying to get the connection to our web store to work, um, just noodling around. And, um, and then, uh, 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 called in the consulting company that, because I couldn't get the ICM database, right, you know, buckets and all working the way that I expected to in the inventory evaluation. And I called them in and I said, look, I need somebody to help me with how these buckets work in the accounting. And they said, great. They sent an accountant out. I explained for about a half an hour to her what I was trying to do. She said, hold on a minute. I'll be right back. She stepped outside, came back inside. And she said, I talked to my boss and he said, he has no idea what you just did, but do you want a job? (laughs) (laughs) And that's how I got, that's really how I got my start, right? Uh, Before that, I was trying to do everything but computing. Um, my dad was my dad did computing work for for NASA. My mom was a database administrator on PP eleven and VAX, and so I got to see a lot of that. My first computer was a Sinclair uh, uh, ZX eighty, right? That I built from kit, and and just you know, first first big computer program was random, yeah, random character generator for Dungeons and Dragons. I'm that kid, right? You know, and um, and so uh, um. It, it's uh, it just kind of budded from there. I got excited about it. Then I got hired to do this point of sale stuff. I had been to college for um, I went to a great book school, but uh, but had been to school where we did a lot of physics and a lot of um, a lot of math. And so um, so when the when the call came up for uh, for someone to do work on Beowulf projects. Um, I was ready to do some installations, ready to talk about doing science. And I had already learned, I'd already been humbled enough to know that I wasn't a scientist, but I was a really good janitor for scientists. <laughs> and, uh, this Linux thing was, you know, was really firing up like, with, with the, with the high performance computing. And I just happened to be at Dell at the right time and, um, and have some great mentors, uh, inside of this space. People, uh, that, you might not, you know, your viewers might not know, but Gary Kochar, who was uh, who was a performance engineer at, at uh, Dell, who uh, really mentored me and what it was like to do, you know, community science uh, together. Um, and, you know, funny stories like that. Those are the, those are kind of the uh, I guess that's how I got my start. And, and what what made me love Linux so much is that I just just got so directly connected into uh, into that world in a, in a quick and easy fashion. Yeah. I think a lot of people, I think a lot of people started there, right. With like, you know, Hey, I'm trying to do this fun thing or this funny thing. And it just kind of evolves from one thing to the next. And then you end up in the right place at the right time. I mean, my entire career started that way. You know, I worked at an internet service provider back when there was dial up modems and, uh, they, they did websites in the early days of websites. And, uh, you know, after a year there, they they like to take the kids who are in college and see what they wanted to do career wise. And I remember the head of engineering dude came over and he's like, OK, so what do you want to do? And I didn't know. So I, I looked I actually looked in the newspaper to find what jobs paid a lot of money. 
in the IT space. And I found DBAs did. And I go, I think I want to be a DBA because it paid the most money. And then he's like, we need one of those. You're it. And then like, that was it. Right. And so then, you know, 25 years later, here I am. Um, but it's always fun how these little things start. Right. Um, you just never know um, how things are going to evolve when when you get started and when you make some of these early decisions. Right. Exactly. You know, you just never know. And and then uh, my dad used to say, you know, luck is where preparation meets opportunity. Um, you know, that the 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 right answer here was that I was messing around until I had a, a fairly good idea of what it was that I wanted to do. But then, um, you know, convince some other people that that, uh, that I could uh, I could commit and I could deliver. And then the rest is history. So, yeah. But there are some great moments too, like um, uh, working on that point of sale system. It's funny. I, I remember a friend of mine and I won a bid to do an entire college stadium, right? To to network and and uh, build out the devices for an entire college stadium. And uh, we decided to use the Linux terminal services project, the Linux in schools project, right? Um, if you're yeah, yeah. With it, and. Um, and so we built out this entire configuration. Um, and in the end, there was a database corruption that kept kept happening. Uh, and we didn't understand what was going on. Well, um, we got a, uh, this is Chris Tooley is the friend of mine. We, he, he was an, uh, an administrator at our local uh, museum, Museum of Art. And he uh, was doing everything at the, you know, at, at the lowest cost. And I was doing everything, you know, at this. Uh, I could on Linux with this uh, Unix based system that we were working with. And so we just, we just beat our heads against the wall. And um, I'll never forget this because we got up on, we we got up on IRC, IRC, we were on pound Linux and we were talking about what was happening to us. And uh, these people, we were using XFS as the basis. We were using uh, Red Hat with the, with the XFS overlay. If you remember those days yep. uh, mm-hmm. on an old power ed server. And, uh, uh, and we, uh, um, we, we, uh, were told by the company or actually our customer was told by the cus- by the, uh, by the company that ran, that handled the, the point of sale software that we were using an experimental file system. And, uh, and we said, well, it says XFS, but it's not experimental. Right. And so, uh, they weren't convinced, but we told somebody on pound Linux, what was, what we were experiencing. And then they got David Love, who is one of the uh, architects from SGI. Uh, <laughs> and they said, Hey, they're they're telling these kids, it's a, it's a, uh, an experimental file system. And he said, experimental since 1968. <laughs> 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 and um, he and uh, Andrew Tridgell um, helped us to debug the problem and gave us uh, so uh, I'm making this story much shorter, but um, but we figured out that the people who had written this application were not using uh, proper file open and close on their on their uh, database files, and it worked fine, you know, with a single system. But once we had this distributed NFS, NFS was it was creating a dirty cache, and and uh, and the write back was happening on a timeout for XFS, right? So. Combination XFS and uh, NFS uh, and this program that wasn't properly closing its files, we were getting a, a deadline uh, 
write to the database, right? <laughs> and yeah. um, and it was awful. So uh, so our our uh, uh, but the experience we had with the community was that they rallied around us, and these were people who were you know famous for for us. I mean, they were you know I I had. I knew who they were, but I never expect you would never expect them to help you because you were just some guy, you know, in in Texas who was working on a on, you know, on a on a uh, little a little point of sale system. But no, um, they helped us to um, to really keep ourselves um, clear of any blame, you know, free of blame and to really help uh, our customer understand that we were, you know, that we were really doing a great job for them. And uh, and it was right there that, you know, I was I was completely sold. I, my whole career has been around open source since the very, you know, since that that moment. But we knew um, that uh, that uh, we we were rallied around by a community of people that we could trust. And and we try to be those people or you try to be that kind of citizen inside of this this community. Right. So. And I think that's that speaks so much to the open source community and how welcoming it is. I mean, yeah. I there are so many people out there who are willing to go to the you know the nth degree to help one another do more, uh, and it's it's so awesome when you start to see the empowerment that that's out there, especially in a lot of the older communities like like the Linux community and mm-hmm. um, you know some of the more established communities, um, and I think it's great that the new projects that come out try to learn from the old and try to you know make things a little better and. Um, you know, here we are, you know, all these years later and, uh, you know, everything is just exploding, right? Yeah, it is. It is exploding. I mean, I feel like, you know, uh, I think you always hear, you hear from a lot of the people who have been in open source for a long time. They say we've won, right? Like now what? Now we're, we're on top, you know, we've, we've come to a place where everyone has recognized the value of open source. Um, and I think that's true. But I think where we are now is continuing to tell that story in a way that that um, that brings us good citizens. Right. Um, It's so hard, I think, to uh, or it's easy to fall prey to the idea that you could provide a service model. And somehow, you know, if you keep all this code to yourself, you can uh, you can make some money. The real thing is getting those people to recognize that their contribution back is a part of their, uh, you know, is a part of their edification, is a part of their reward, and and to see that as as something that is uh, that is a duty, right, a responsibility based on based on what they've done, and and so I spend a lot of time, I think, you know, preaching that message, talking about it, but but also living it. You know, you have to you have to be a part of those communities or these communities to be to be, uh, you know. Um, to 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 help people realize the deep connection and yeah yeah and the help that they can get. No, I mean absolutely, and I mean I I know um, there's there's quite a few out there to participate in, and um, you know I, I would encourage everyone who's listening, uh, you know, choose one or two that interest you and get involved. Right, you know, contribute yeah. something back, and it doesn't have to be code. Right. It, no, you know, that's the thing. Oh, yeah. Um, uh, oh, I can't remember who it was who said this, but but uh, in a beautiful way, there are many people out there in the in the world of of uh, of the open source who have said things uh, similar. So I'll just say that, like, from from the you know, from the open source universe, um, documentation is engineering. Right. 
um, making sure that everybody can understand and read uh, how to make a, a software or how to install and, and, and use the software in a successful way is a real engineering talent and shouldn't be forgotten. Yeah. And, you know, so, so David, as, as you've been working more with the Linux vendors, the OS, you know, vendors, um, I, I'm sure that, you know, there's now a, a very different ecosystem today than there was even five years ago with not only the number of distributions, um, but also the number of technologies and ways people deploy their apps, right? So now we've got Kubernetes, we've got, you know, um, serverless systems, um, yeah. we've got, you know, so how, how has that changed your work? Significantly, uh, you know, of course, first off, you know, uh, Part of part of what I did all of last year was was to work on the architecture for uh, the Red Hat open source uh, OpenShift on AWS service, the Rosa service. So I spent a ton of time working with the uh, Red Hat SREs and and the uh, and the engineering teams on uh, at Red Hat to build out you know OpenShift on AWS as a as a, as a as a service team, right, really, and as a tier one service. And so it's been that that changed everything for me to say to see this um, this model move from from not just uh, providing you with an open source software, but also those same people providing you with guidance and prescriptive management in ways that uh, that is, uh, um, you know, that helps everybody be successful together, right, in terms of support and, and management and, and uh, opinionated deployment. Every day, um, there is more of that um, experience around that, you know, continuous integration, continuous delivery, and, and all of those processes that go into that. Um, but there's a unique kind of balance that goes into that as well. Like, it's great that we can, we can recompile, you know, uh, I can stand up a server and recompile uh, uh, on every change, but man, does that get expensive, right? I mean, that I, is I, true. You know, yes. so there's a lot of there's a lot of fun, fun and interesting ways of, of identifying give and take, right? I think we saw that with the the GNOME project. GNOME project was they got um, uh, a fair amount of um, of uh, credit from from. Uh, from Google and Google gave them uh, the ability to run their continuous integration, continuous deployment. And they, in one quarter, consumed all of that credit, right? <laughs> just, just finding a way to, and, and so you want to make sure that you, you know, you find those, that balance and the, and the opportunities to, to really say, this is a critical component and we don't just have to do the unit tests. We can go ahead and do that, do um, uh, the full compile, or we can do the, you know, we can build the whole project and do, do our, behavioral tests or whatever. And, and uh, kind of making that decision, I think is a really interesting one that, that people have to bend. Yeah. And I think that it, it's, you know, it's interesting to see the number of options and how this has mm -hmm. evolved over the years. And, you know, I'm interested to see what you're seeing, um, you know, from your partners and vendors, what's new, what's, what are they, what are they excited about? What are they you know looking forward to over the next few years? I, so. <clears throat> I think the first thing that we're all looking forward to, right, is an evolution of this container space, right? What what does it look like? How do we, you know, how do we make this work for for the, the long haul? Um, and then, uh, what's the future of computing, 
right? Like we don't, we don't, is it serverless? Is it, you know, is it Kubernetes? Is it, is it, um, is it a, you know, scalable system as yet to be, un, you know, determined? What, what does it look like? Um, you know, um, do we have the right kind of resource uh, sharing model? What does storage look like? I mean, I'm, I'm excited. Personally, I'm excited about uh, the concepts of uh, around NVMe reservations and how that might, mm -hmm. that might work. Uh, another thing that I'm I'm really excited about um, is power management, right? So I don't know if you've looked at this, but you know, in a general, generally, like a in a server world, there's no reason to think that you're going to put your server to sleep, right? I mean, who who's, who wants to put their server to sleep? Yeah, I mean, it's going to stay up, <laughs> right? But but uh, but in the cloud, you know, on the cloud, or we're you know, in these opportunistic compute models, right? Lots of things don't necessarily have to stay awake while you're, while you're, you know, you're using them. You can go with more advanced power management. And, and uh, um, so we see that with customers who want to, to maintain, or I see it in Amazon and I, I work on it in the context of Fedora, but power management um, where, you know, they, they suspend a system to a swap file on, huh. on an instance. Right. And then, yeah, yeah. When they need it back, uh, like I said, in an opportunistic way, let's say the cost, you know, we have uh, on Amazon, we have spot instances. I'll use that as an example. In spot, we look at, you know, we look at utilization just generally and we determine a price and that price can fluctuate. And <clears throat> so if you're, you could hibernate a system and then just wake it back up to do whatever opportunistic work you have, like transcoding or, um, or, you know, base compiling or whatever the, uh, to do that work only when there's, uh, when there's a cheaper price to do it. Right. Um, but making that happen means that you have to convince other people to come with you. Right. True. Yeah. Very so, <laughs> so, so from the, from a general standpoint, server doesn't require this, right. You really need a, you need some sort of cloud management system that you're looking at that says, okay, uh, I, I will get, you know, because I have this ability on, <clears throat> on KVM, I can use the ACPI controls to shut this down and bring it back up when I'm, when I think it's important, regardless of what the underlying model is or the reasoning behind it, <clears throat> you still have this ability to make it happen. And <clears throat> I think that, that those are, you know, those finding the, that model exists now finding the right workloads for that starts to be an interesting, you know, that's, a, that's kind of the interesting thing right now. So what does that look like? It's, you know, I see, I've seen, you know, Monte Carlo um, style uh, parallel computing, right? Embarrassingly parallel computing that can, that can benefit from this on a lot of occasions, reporting structures uh, of that sort. <clears throat> and, uh, and so now it's kind of exciting to think about, next generation how are we as open source contributors going to make that uh make that model functional for people who want to use it at a at a at a higher level at an application layer okay so i mean you, you know th those are some of the the things you're looking forward to um uh, is there a project that you're really involved in externally maybe an open source thing that you're like going that is a cool project everybody should go check that out well i mean so I'm biased in the sense that I'm, uh, you know, I've, I've spent the last 15 years working on the Fedora project, 
It's okay. Um, it's okay. You can be biased. So, so go ahead and 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 be be biased. Sure. So I mean, so I'll say two things there that um, that I have uh, very much enjoyed being part of uh, Fedora, from being just an ambassador to being an active contributor to now uh, helping to run the Fedora Cloud Sig, and and uh, um, you know from from that from all of those generations, all those permutations, I've had an excellent experience, lots of guidance, great mentors. I don't know if you if you know Neil Gompa, but Neil. Uh, spends a lot of time uh, working across multiple projects. I mean, he works on OpenSUSE, works on on uh, I think he's on the council there, and and uh, and then across Fedora and uh, on ButterFS. He's done a lot of work on ButterFS, and um, and we just adopted that in Fedora Cloud. By the way, uh, Fedora thirty five is coming out here pretty soon, and it'll have uh, it'll have ButterFS in it. So pretty excited about that. That was an interesting decision too. Um, but yeah, I'm excited about Fedora in that sense. The uh, I love what Matthew Miller has done uh, as as the Fedora project lead, and uh, the way he's he's um, kind of been a lot of he's been the glue. Um, the uh, creating the position of F Cake was like a, a a great thing, right? Making making a coordinator for the for the project, someone who could help us with. Um, with the uh, uh, events and whatnot, and uh, flock, you know, whether it's virtual or in person, has been uh, for you know for many years now uh, a great experience for me, and always an adventure and an opportunity to learn a lot more about packaging and and uh, program management and uh, and just development in general. So, where are you most active in that project? I'm most active in Fedora Cloud, right? So I spend uh, what, what component of it? Uh, so I I spend my time uh, working on the uh, project leadership. So okay. coordinating the meetings and uh, working right. with people on the on the on the projects there, and then uh, have done a lot of the work. Are kind of uh, spearheaded a lot of work that was um, that was done here in 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 the short term. Uh, with other people like Chris Murphy and Neil Neil Gampa, uh, on on getting ButterFS into into our uh, working group, and we did that for a couple of reasons. So one um, is that on in cloud environments, um, usually you have a single disk, right? That that does things, and then if you have data, you you put the data on some sort of a uh, some sort of a different kind of uh, or an additional device, right? So. Um, so however you however you carve up that block storage, you tend to use a smaller uh, a smaller root device and then to have these external devices. Um, we found that in uh, areas like CIS hardening and things like that, we still have the same rules, right? So um, yeah. removing removing the executable bit from you know from uh, from slash temp, all these things that make it that are very difficult to do when you have a single partition. Um, but ButterFS allows you to have these subvolumes, and the subvolumes uh, can be presented with a lot of these same traits. And and so we thought this would be a great opportunity for us to experiment and see where we see how just how far we can get uh, working with the with you know what is effectively the more the more modern of file systems. And this wasn't a good fit for server in you know Fedora server uh, at the same time. 
because uh, ButterFS doesn't have some of the lower level RAIDs, RAID 5, RAID 6. Those don't really work uh, effectively on, on ButterFS today. But for the most part, there's no reason to have those in a hyperscaler environment. And <clears throat> so we decided that this was a great fit for cloud and, um, and started to uh, put that together. So we put together a proposal. We found that there wasn't a whole lot of uh, pushback in terms of the the base Fedora or the cloud the cloud image itself on the on the front of um, of the container um, there is still a general a fair amount of work to be done to support the overlay model on ButterFS so we're not there for the container containers don't have a ButterFS base but um, uh, but for but for all of the component parts for cloud, that was something that we thought was pretty exciting and made it possible for us to do some things that we had not been able to do before in terms of. And ButterFS has been in development way. for since two thousand six seven. That sounds right. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's, I mean, it's been, it's I been mean, a lot. I, yeah, I feel like it's mature enough, and we're ready. You know, it's been in the workstation for a couple of releases now. I don't feel like you know we're steady state in terms of Fedora. The uh, this was an opportunity for us to to realign with the workstation components and and to um, to kind of pave the way, I think, for some of the other the other uh, additions that are out there. Um, Why do you think which, it took so long to adopt? There are uh, well, first off, uh, XFS. Come on, uh, you know we we were using yeah we're using ext four in the base the base images, but but um, but Red Hat really has a lot of as a as a sponsor of the pro, you know the pro, of the um project they have a lot of vested interest in in ensuring that it, that the work that they've done on XFS is uh continues to be successful and i'm not saying i'm not knocking them for it you know i think that's that's uh it's important work and and from the enterprise perspective um long standing file systems and long standing support are a great thing but it is definitely long in the tooth you know, I mean, like I said, I'm just, you know, experimental since 1968. Right. So, <laughs> um, but, uh, but the, um, uh, but ButterFS brings us a lot of things that I think are uh, a more modern kind of uh, uh, functionality that we, that is super helpful for us in the cloud today. And that's been, that was the exciting part for us. Um, snapshotting volumes, being able to, you know, uh, to um, take what's running on one server and then snapshot that to the root volume of another server that that or another server instance, right? That was a that was a big deal for us, right? Being able to to make those changes very very quickly and and um, very dramatically. Uh, so I can I can share a root volume from one stopped instance and then use the snap from another uh, to populate the same content. To a different instance, and that allows me to do things like modify, like to have a fast model for for modifying billing codes or or things like that, where there's some some sort of sticky metadata um, mm. in the volume or the, and the instance itself. And and uh, it doesn't seem like a it doesn't seem like a um, I mean, I'm speaking about it kind of abstractly, but it doesn't seem, and it doesn't seem like a big deal until you run into this and you have to do this on hundreds of volumes. Um, and uh, it becomes, 
it becomes much easier with ButterFS than it is with anything else that you would possibly, you know, than we would we would be using. Anything else, we'd have to be doing this at a block level replication layer uh, much faster, right? You'd have to, you'd end up with DRBD in between instances and have some sort of oh, yeah. major failover. It'd be, it'd be a big deal. So, so, you know, I mean, and, and it's an interesting change, right? Because, I mean, EXT4 has been around forever as well. I mean, well, I mean, as long as <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so I mean that, that that is an interesting now as as um and I'll I'll bring up a, a point and you can say if you you know you want to talk about it or not. Like like the, the, the change with CentOS, did that did you see any movement um for people starting to look at Fedora as more of a, a server workload? Um oh, you know well, that's it, an interesting you it's interesting that you bring that up. I I like talking about CentOS and CentOS stream. Um <clears throat> So, was that sarcasm or was that a real you love talking about? It? I really, I really like talking about it. I think it's very interesting, you know, so, so um, uh, I was not one of those people who had an instant negative reaction to it because I had spent so much time with the HPC community and the HPC community says these, they say these great, great things. They say, well, we want to run on CentOS. Uh, great. Why do you want to run on CentOS? Well, because it's stable. Okay. That's great. It is stable. You're right. And you know, from a cloud perspective, no, so remember, I'm looking at it from a cloud perspective, right? I don't have any hardware yeah. today. I have been in the hardware world, but but today I don't have any except for what we for what Amazon makes, right? So now, so now they'd say, okay, great, we want we want stable. And I'm like, okay, great. So here's a kernel that's been tested, and then they'd say, yeah, but it doesn't have the ENA driver we want. Okay, great. So you're going to break that kernel. So that you can have the ENA driver that you want. Now, whatever QA happened at Red Hat, whatever QA happened during the CI process for CentOS, all that's gone, right? <laughs> because you just you made you just made this mod- modification to the kernel. It's tainted now. Okay, now that's great. But now, what do you want? Oh, well, we need this additional version. You know, we need this the latest version of LibFabrics. Oh, okay, you know that's great. Now, now we definitely are into uncharted territory. Um, and, uh, and while we're pushing all those changes, you know, we know these things are coming, right? The, the ENA team knows that they're pushing into mainline first, right? So, so we see this, we see the changes in the kernel. They know they're there, um, but they're taking them from out of tree. And so here I am, a guy who's, who's spending most of my time talking to these uh, high-performance computing customers about how they can get the kernel broken. And... Um, and really, we're pushing those same changes into Red Hat at, at the very same time, right? So six weeks later, with, so with CentOS Stream, the concept is, you know, six weeks out, you know, well, it'll take about six weeks for QA. So we push these changes into Red Hat because we have this relationship or AWS has this relationship with Red Hat. And we're constantly, you know, working with the, we have project owners at Red Hat. We have project owners on the AWS side. And then we're, you know, we're, pushing them together so that they can talk about things and, and make real change. And six weeks later, it's going to land in CentOS Stream, which means that if we have Stream, these people who are asking me for the, you know, to make these modifications to CentOS because it's stable, right? Suddenly have a stable CentOS to use, right? So CentOS Stream gives them those latest changes, roughly six, you know, six weeks uh, um, uh, later, 
because they've been through the regression testing and they've been through kernel testing and they've been through QA, right? So we know they work. <clears throat> and Red Hat's not testing, you know, they're not just testing on their own hardware. They're testing on, on the Amazon hardware as well, right? And make sure they have a, every opportunity to do that. So, um, so we're having a, we have this constant conversation happening uh, around Red Hat. That Red Hat conversation lands in stream. Then it really is stable. It lands in the next point release of Red Hat. Now they've got this whole cycle where they know that they have stability for a long, you know, for the long-term support on Red Hat. The CentOS experience was been or the CentOS stream experience benefited from the QA process that we would normally have for, for a Red Hat point release. And they could use, you know, they can use that the whole time. So I think that the process and the and the progress has been better. Based on that, right now, there's no reason for me to ask a customer to recompile a driver. There's no reason for them to have to go and find the latest version of uh, the RDMA core because it's in the CentOS version uh, based on our collaborative work with the, uh, based on the collaborative work between Amazon and, and Red Hat, right? So, so I see this as being incredibly beneficial. I, I understand that a lot of people saw, saw this and they said, oh, well, it's going to go to Fedora, to CentOS, to Red Hat. And uh, it sounds like it got excited in that side. That's okay. Um, okay. So, uh, the, so, so from the perspective of, of you know, of what, what are we working with today? Um, well, we're working with the latest tested kernel on, you know, on, on the CentOS stuff. And then if we want something that's more stable, we've got Red Hat. Now, uh, I, I also, and fast, you know, fast, was fast friends with Lee Hennings when he and Greg Kurtzer when they started working on Rocky. And we at Amazon, I had the great fortune of being able to support them, you know, pretty much immediately from from their, you know, from their conception, and work with the cloud Linux guys and worked on the Alma Linux uh, uh, with the Alma Linux team and love working with them. They and all of their products are, you know, are perfectly functional on AWS. Yeah, and, and I mean, I'm not. I mean, for, from an AWS standpoint, I've said that uh, this is more of just a yeah. CentOS, not CentOS. Well, I, I kind of have to, I kind of, yeah, it's hard yeah, but, for me but to I, talk about it out of context. Yeah. Yeah. But I, 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 it is an interesting thing because you mentioned a use case that many people don't think about because they don't necessarily see that. Like the, the vast majority of uh, CentOS users that I've known um, and that we work with, they're not compiling their own kernel extensions. They're not adding things. It's 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 like the, the reason they're using CentOS, let's be honest, is they don't want to pay Red Hat for Red Hat Linux. Yeah. I mean, I mean I, you, you don't need to say that. I say that because that's my customers that I'm talking to. You know, like that's what they're like. They're like, oh yeah, we, we don't want to pay for Red Hat Linux, but we want everything that Red Hat Linux offers. And amazing, I think that uh, amazing people work on CentOS, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Um, and, um, and that's great, you know, yeah. and I mean, I think that's, I mean, it gets back to in the open source space, um, we've done some surveys over the years and it's like a minimum of two thirds of those who are running open source are predisposed to never pay for, you know, something in the open source space that they can get for free. I mean, right. And that's cool, right. Because that's part of the, the, yeah. the, the, the cool factor of, you know, being able to get things in the, you know, in the, the Linux space or in the, you know, open source space. And, um, 
you know, they can, they can grab these things, they can make it work. And you know what, more power to them if they can run yeah. their production on their own. Um, I mean, that's not how I want to run my, my production database. Sorry. Just oh, oh. Story. Right. <laughs> I, I, I get you. I get you. I get you. I'm, I'm, this is not, I'm not saying yeah. I condone it. Yeah. Um, but, but I'm saying that that's a, that's a common thing. And I think that's why a lot of the, the, the push around or the concern around that, that switch to stream uh, came up is you've got a really large set of users using CentOS that's basically just using it because it's Red Hat Enterprise Linux without the Red Hat Enterprise Linux name. Um, and then, then all of a sudden it changes and then that disrupts what they expected. Um, but, I, I, you know, it's interesting to hear from you, like you've got these people who are like, they want CentOS because it's stable. Um, but then they want this other stuff, which is a, which is a little bit of a different um, space that I'm used to, because, yeah. like I said, my, my customers are a little different. Now, it's interesting that now you mentioned um, the, uh, you, you know, that, that, that you don't want to run stuff in production without having some sort of like, you know, support or safety net, which is where most large yeah. enterprises are. But it's it's super interesting. I found that. Most of the companies that choose self-support, they choose self-support for one or two people who are at that company. And then when those people leave, like the people coming in, they're like, why did we do this? And then they change technologies. They change everything. They, they end up with support. Right? And there's a yeah. cycle. Right. Um, it's, yeah. it's a very independent choice um, that really boils down to individual contributors on which technologies in a lot of cases and whether they're willing to pay and whether they want support or not support. Um, it's, yeah, it's no, very interesting. It is. I mean, and you heard me, you know, say that some of my earliest projects were at, were my earliest large projects were built on things like, you know, the Linux and schools project. I mean, they weren't built yeah. on something that was, you know, that was, uh, uh, but of course, when I bought, when I built those servers, those servers ran uh, Red Hat, right? I mean, they, they were, well, but at the time, yeah. at the time, was there even a Red Hat Enterprise Linux, or did you go no. get it on thirty floppy disks like everyone else did, yeah. or uh, you know, uh, you know, the CD it, in the back? This was on magazine. CDs, yeah, yeah. Oh like yeah, I said, the back of the yeah, yeah. Well, no, it was it was the you know it had. Uh, I mean, I had the XFS overlay that I'd created myself, right? Because there wasn't such a thing at that point. You know, XFS was was. Um, um, this is like seven two, right? <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, yesterday. So, so well, I mean, like, yeah. yeah, I learned on Slackware, by the way. So, yeah, <clears throat> no, it's great. I, uh, you know, that's that's a. Uh, uh, I think I feel like there's there's a lot of places there where we we all learned, uh, we all grew uh, um, our abilities on on. Linux. I mean, Linux really was the, I, I was working on, I mean, and, you know, don't hold this against me, but most of my work was done on SCO, uh, SCO oh, units before. Yeah. I got to hang up. <laughs> right. But before I, before I got into, um, into, in, into Red Hat and, and, um, and, uh, while, you know, uh, you know, SCO was a great experience for being able to work on multiple systems to support, you know, hundreds of terminals and things like that. Um, for me, long, you know, when the only other alternative for small business was Windows. Um, but uh, but every time I would call in, you know, this is my experience, right, is that for proprietary software like that, you call in for support because you had some sort of a kernel bug 
you'd pay somebody $700 so they'd talk to you about the fact that you had a kernel bug. And then the ultimate answer would be, yes, there is a kernel bug. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I <guess>. yeah. <laughs> and, and so I feel like, you know, the... There in the olden, you know, in the early days, it was it was a great thing. We 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 were learning. We, but for that business, I mean, I had Red Hat support, right? There was no there was no question about it. Like if if something went wrong, I wasn't going to rely on myself and the one other guy who was really had a day job, right? Who to be there when when they really needed uh, they needed to know what had had to go what what had to go right, you know. Um, we had we wanted that support. We wanted the 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 sense certainty that uh, that we were going to be able to help them. No, and, I, I, and yeah. I get it. I mean, Procona, where, where I work, that's how we make our money is on the support too. So, right. you know, I mean, that, okay. you know, like we invested in interest as well. But yeah. um, it 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 is an interesting thing because you know so many. I mean, and you have the freedom in open source, and that's the great thing is. It's about enabling those choices. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's and it's, it is, and you know, it's one of the things that I think is interesting is that you know we 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 do have choice, and we have choice on where we get that support. You know, I I mean, there's there's uh, uh, you know there's great opportunity out there to to be um, you know to be an open source supporter and and to make make a good living at it, right? I mean, that's that is the open source way is yeah. is to take you know to take advantage of of the opportunities that are provided by by uh, people using the software and your expertise. So, um, but there, you know, it's interesting. There, there are always places where uh, uh, there are lots of lessons to be learned about this. And I think that that knee jerk reaction was one of the lessons that we really needed to learn, which is that uh, CentOS stream wasn't a direct uh, descendant of Fedora, right? It was, a collaborative effort around enterprise Linux that then was provided in a way that was a foot forward for what would be released as a stable release a little bit later. Right. And I mean, sometimes that's just marketing, right? I mean, it's how you position it or market it or like, you know, like, like articulate the value Mm -hmm. of it. And I think in the open source space, especially where passions run high, it's so important to, you know, be able to articulate, tell the story and, you know, convey what you're trying to do. And sometimes um, as, as folks working on the back end, we we sometimes overlook that or minimize that conversation or that. Minimize story. is a really good way. Yeah, that's that is a, a, a something that we have to be very careful about right in our world, because their opinions do run high and there are many of them. And they don't converge necessarily. And right. one of the I see I've seen this tactic uh, from from senior leadership where someone has an, uh, has a, a really strong idea, but they don't know how to present it well. Right? They don't have to yeah. know how to articulate it. And and uh, we need to be there for each other to help bootstrap those concepts and and to listen. I think and this is I got from Plato actually, but to listen to what I mean, not what I say. There you go. Yeah. There you go. Well, David, thank you for stopping by and chatting with me about, you know, some of the things going on uh, in your group uh, and also in the Fedora space. Um, it was a pleasure yeah. to sit down and catch up and uh, learn a little bit about your background and stuff. Um, but I do appreciate you coming on. Uh, Matt, it's been, this has been spectacular. 
right? I mean, oh. I have really enjoyed having the chat. I hope we get to do it again. Oh yeah, anytime. Yeah. If if people wanted to to chat with you or reach out in community and uh, just you know you know say hi, you know where's the best way for them to do that? I'm Dav Dunk everywhere. D A V D U N C. So uh, okay. hit me up on Twitter. Yeah, love to talk to you. Counter social, Mastodon, Dav Dunk everywhere. Hey. All right, awesome. Yeah. All right, David. Thanks a bunch. Thank you. Wow, what a great episode that was. We really appreciate you coming and checking it out. We hope that you love open source as much as we do. If you like this video, go ahead and subscribe to us on the YouTube channel. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. And of course, tune in to next week's episode. We really appreciate you coming and talking open source with us.